0: Uh, If you have a Bible this morning, please open to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. If you can find the New Testament, you're close. Mark's the second book, Matthew and then Mark. We're going to be jumping in there in just a second. We are beginning a brand new series this morning. It's called The Invitation. The Invitation to Study in the Gospel of Mark. Jewish rabbis chose their disciples. They hand-selected them. And every Jewish rabbi had what was called a yoke. The yoke of the rabbi was his interpretation of the Torah or the Jewish law. The goal of the rabbi was to place his yoke on the shoulders of his disciples, like this picture here, so that the disciples could stay in step with the rabbi. In fact, it was so that the disciples could walk exactly like the rabbi. Often, the rabbis would invite their disciples to live with them, to come and live with them for two purposes. One, to be around them, to constantly be asking questions and questions and learning. But the second thing was to be up close and personal and to observe their life, to watch how they walked out their understanding of Scripture. When Jesus chose his disciples, when he invited them to follow him, he essentially asked them to take his yoke, to take his yoke. Remember, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me so that the disciples of Jesus could walk in his steps, so that the disciples of Jesus could become exactly like Jesus. Again, that was the goal of the disciple, to become exactly like the rabbi. So when we read stories uh, like Peter getting out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee in that storm and walking on the water, what surprises us is not that Peter got out of the boat, What surprises us is that the 11 other disciples didn't get out of the boat because it was the responsibility of the disciple to live exactly like the rabbi. So Peter is sitting in the boat and he sees Jesus walking on the water and he says, there's my rabbi. I am supposed to walk in the footsteps of my rabbi. So he got out of the boat to follow Jesus walking on the water. Why didn't the other 11 get out of the boat and follow the steps of the rabbi? The point of this series is we are going to answer this question as we go through Mark. What does it mean to be a fully devoted follower or disciple of Jesus? In other words, what does it mean to take Christ's yoke upon ourselves and become exactly like him? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Mark and all the things we're going to learn in that gospel, Lord, in the next few weeks and months. We pray, Holy Spirit, today you would open our hearts, help us to see your truth, help us to understand your truth, and then to apply that truth in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. There are are moments in all of our lives when we wish we could start over. People that that I counsel and talk with who have gone through a divorce... Usually, at some point in their life, they want to restart relationally. They want a a new beginning relationally. If you've experienced moral failure, uh, you wish that you could just go back and and undo it. You wish that you could just go back and change it instead of having to live with the consequences of that. We'd like a a new beginning. If addiction has messed up your life, you just want a new life, right? Right? Or, or if, if you make a, a, a dumb decision that ruins your reputation, we wish we could go back and, and start again. Or, or maybe when you go through periods of life that are just kind of meaningless, when you're not challenged, you, you want something new. You want a new challenge in life. I did something really stupid my sophomore year of high school. My sophomore year of high school on a Friday night, I went out with some friends drinking and got drunk, and that would have been bad enough but we went to our high school football game and I got caught and I got kicked out of my high school and I had to go to another high school in my district for a whole semester. The town I grew up in was not a large town. So everybody knew me. I I was pretty good in basketball at that time. And so they kind of knew that. And I missed the whole basketball season. I remember walking to that that new high school and just thinking to myself, dummy, like, what are you doing? Like, why did you do that? Stupid, 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 right? Like, couldn't I just go back and and have a redo? Could, couldn't I just go back and change that and not live with this reputation, everybody knowing, yeah, he went out and got kicked out of the school and, he, you know, whatever. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you just wish you could have a new beginning. Maybe you wish you could have a new start. Maybe you wish you could start over. Maybe you're just not satisfied in life and you just want a new life. The very first verse in Mark chapter 1 says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning. The word beginning implies something new, something new that's starting. One scholar says this about that word beginning in Mark 1.1. God is a God of beginnings. Beginnings. The good news of Mark is that God begins again with the chosen people by sending his son. The gospel is good news because one can what? Begin again. You can can start over. And that's the invitation that we receive in the very first chapter of the gospel of Mark. An invitation to a new life. An invitation to a new start. An invitation to a new beginning. How how many of you would like a new beginning in life? So before we jump into the text this morning in Mark chapter 1, let me give you a little background information as to the gospel of Mark. The gospel of Mark is the shortest of all of the four gospels. Um, Not just the shortest, but probably the first gospel that was written. So 93% of the content that we find in the gospel of Mark is repeated verbatim in either Matthew or Luke, meaning Matthew and and Luke used Mark as a source when they were writing their Gospels. Mark is more concerned with the actions of Jesus than the teaching of Jesus. So we're not going to find a lot of the teachings of Christ in the Gospel of Mark. There there is no Sermon on the Mount. There there are no long discourses where Jesus was teaching his disciples. Um, Mark does not have a lot of Old Testament references in his gospel. Uh, In other words, there's not a lot. He doesn't quote the Old Testament a lot. And that gives us a glimpse into who he's writing to, who the audience is. Now, Matthew in his gospel, his gospel is filled with Old Testament references because Matthew's writing to a Jewish community. Matthew's trying to connect the Old Testament Jewish scriptures with Jesus Christ, the Messiah in the New Testament. Mark doesn't do that. Uh, again, I said Mark is, is more concerned with what Jesus did than what Jesus taught. And, and scholars believe that Mark is writing primarily to a Roman audience, writing to a Roman audience to convince them that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And, and so what we see in this gospel is Mark using this word about 40 times, the word immediately or suddenly suddenly he he takes us from from one supernatural event of Jesus to the next. It's an action-packed gospel that just moves us from one event to the next. Why does Mark do that if he's writing to a Roman audience? Because the Romans valued and were kind of enamored by powerful leaders. They, they, They loved military leaders that exercised their strength and power. Rome was a, 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 an empire built on power. So, so Mark presents or portrays Jesus as a leader of incredible power as he presents this gospel to the Romans. He, he talks about the things that Jesus did, showing that Jesus had power over nature. Jesus had power over the created world. He stills storms and he does other things to violate the laws of nature. Jesus has power over disease and sickness. He heals people. Jesus has power over Satan. He casts out demons and frees people in demonic bondage. So, so Mark portrays Jesus as a, as a powerful leader that would have appealed to a Roman audience. Mark is probably the John Mark that we see in the New Testament, the cousin of Barnabas, the John Mark that went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas in, in the book of Acts. Mark probably didn't ever meet Jesus, probably didn't have a personal contact with Jesus to follow Jesus and be a first-hand eyewitness. Most scholars believe that Mark got his material from the apostle Peter, that Peter was the mentor that helped him to write his gospel. Let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, okay, Jeff, you just told us there's not very many Old Testament references. Well, this is one of them. There's not a lot, but here's he. He kind of starts with one. Behold, I am sending my messenger before you. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, <coughs> the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. <coughs> John the Baptist was that messenger, and he appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to to John and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by John in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locusts and wild honey. As he was preaching, he was saying, after me, one, speaking of Jesus, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. And I'm not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opening and the Holy Spirit like a dove descending and resting upon him. And a voice came from the heavens saying, you are my beloved son. In in you, I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving or ministering to him. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. So, the question we're going to answer this morning as we, as we just jump into, into Mark is this How do I experience a new life in Christ? What does that mean? I think the first chapter of Mark answers that question. How do I experience a new life in Christ? And the first point is this, by seeing sin differently. How do I enter into that new life? The first thing is by seeing sin differently. Let's go back to verses 4 and 5. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to John and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So, so the very first thing we see in, in, in Mark chapter 1 is John the Baptist preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. A baptism of repentance. What, what is repentance? What does that mean? Well, the word repent is the, is the Greek word metanoia. The word metanoia means to change your mind, to change the way you think, to think about something differently, in this case, sin, to think about your sin differently, to to change your attitude toward it. So instead of thinking that, well, sin isn't that big of a deal or that everybody's doing it, what's the harm, or even going to the Lord and saying, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry again. That's not repentance. Saying I'm sorry to God for my sin is simply expressing what you're feeling because you got caught and you feel bad about it. That that, that may be a part of repentance, but that's not the heart of repentance. Repentance is changing the way you see sin. It's changing your attitude and saying sin doesn't please God. Sin hurts my relationship with God. Sin is destructive. Sin is harmful. That, that's the attitude. But, but anytime we change the way we think about something, inevitably it leads to a change of actions, right? If suddenly you believe that something is wrong and you need to, to, to live differently, you're going to ask yourself, well, what do I need to do to be right? If, if now I understand that this is, this is sin and I, and I shouldn't do that, Then the next question is, what should I do? And that's exactly what we see in Luke's account of this very scene of people coming out to be baptized by John in the Jordan. Let's read Luke chapter 3, Luke's account. The crowds were questioning John the Baptist, saying, then if we're supposed to repent, what are we to do? And John would answer them and say to them, the one who has two tunics or two cloaks or coats is to share with the one who has none. And the one who has food is to do likewise. In other words, overcome your greed, overcome your selfishness, overcome your lack of compassion. Uh, To repent means to live differently, to to live generously, to share with those that have need, to change what you're doing. Uh, Tax collectors came to John to be baptized and they said to him, teacher, what what are we to do? We're, We're tax collectors. We have different sins in our life. John said to them, collect no more money than what you've been ordered to. Don't cheat people. If the Roman government says on, on the basis of how much money they earn, they pay this much tax, don't charge them twice as much. Don't exploit people. Don't use people. Don't take advantage of people. Not only change the way you think, but change what you do. Change the way you... That, that's repentance. Is I not only recognize this is wrong, but I'm going to align my behavior with what is Right? Soldiers came to John. They they were questioning him as well, saying, what are we to do as soldiers? We have different sins than normal folks and tax collectors. John said to them, don't extort money from anyone. Don't harass people. Be content with your wages. Don't take advantage of your position. Don't oppress people. Don't force people to do things that they don't want to do. Change the way you live. Not only change the way you see sin, but change the way you respond to sin. So then we come to another word that John uses in John chapter 1 about uh, turning to God. He says not only did he preach a baptism of repentance, but it says they were coming to him confessing their sins. What does that mean? What does it mean to confess your sins? Well, the, the, the Greek word there is the Greek word homo legeo. Homo means the same. Legeo means to speak or to say. So uh, to confess means to say the same thing or to say what's already been said or to agree with God and what God says about sin. Confession means you go to God and you say, adultery is sin. You go to God and you say, dishonesty and lying is sin. Sin. I say the same thing, God, that you say about it. I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it's not that big of a deal. I'm not saying everybody does it. No, I'm saying, God, adultery, pornography, unforgiveness, bitterness, dishonesty, uh, profanity, it's all sin. So confession means I agree with you, God. I say what you say about this particular thing in my life, that it's morally wrong, that it's, that it's sin. I also confess that it hurts my relationship with God. I also confess that God, you're not pleased with this. I also confess this is destroying my life. You you become honest in your conversation with God and you recognize what you're doing. So the first thing is we we have to see our sin differently and it has to include repentance, changing our mind, changing our behavior and confession, acknowledging what God says about that particular thing In our lives. The second step to a new life in in Mark chapter 1 is seeing Jesus differently. Seeing Jesus differently. So, So, Mark wants nothing to do with Jesus the baby. Mark wants nothing to do with Jesus the youth. Mark wants nothing to do with Jesus the carpenter. Mark tells us nothing about the birth of Jesus. Mark tells us nothing about the upbringing of Jesus. Mark tells us nothing about the years before Jesus began his ministry. Mark focuses his gospel on the beginning of Christ's ministry. He focuses on Jesus the king, not Jesus the baby, not Jesus the youth, not Jesus the carpenter, but Jesus the king. And he does that by introducing us to, to three names or titles for Jesus right out of the gate. We already, I already quoted verse 1. Let's read it again. Verse 1 says, The beginning of the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How does Mark want us to see Jesus? Well, well Jesus was the prophetic name that God gave to Mary and Joseph before Jesus was even born. It's it's the Greek name Yesu. The Hebrew equivalent is Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves or God is the God of salvation. Mark introduces us to Jesus, the one sent by God to save and deliver Israel and the people from their sins. So immediately he wants us to recognize that it's Jesus, who was prophesied about, the one sent by God with a supernatural mission. What is the mission of Jesus? Mark wants us to know. He came to save people from their sin. Well, he attaches another word to Jesus, and that's Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. I don't know if you knew that. It's a title. Jesus wasn't born to Mr. and Mrs. Christ. He was born Jesus, Yeshua, Yesu in the Greek, the Savior, the one who would save his people from their sins. Christ is the Greek word Christos. It means the Messiah. It means the anointed one. It means the king. Mark is introducing us to Jesus, the Savior, who is the Christ, the anointed one, the king. So, so Mark wants us to focus on who Jesus is. He's, he's Jesus the one given a prophetic name with a mission to save people from sin, and he's the Christ. So when you, see, when you see those two words together, Jesus Christ, think of it this way, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King, Jesus the Anointed One, instead of Jesus and his last name. All right? The third thing he says is, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. That's Mark's favorite name or title for Jesus. He uses it 10 times in the book. It means means son of the divine, and it focuses on the deity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is God. Now, to the Romans, the son of God meant somebody that that demonstrated the power of the gods or the power of God. The the emperor was called the son of God. they, They believed that he had the wisdom of God to run his office and to rule. The, the, the Greek gods in mythology, when they demonstrated the, the, the power of God, they were called the gods or the sons of God. And, and Mark intentionally uses that phrase, son of God, to show that Jesus Christ is, is not only the, the, the Messiah, not only the one sent to save, but the one who would sit on the throne of David and rule forever, the one who had divine power. And again, we go back and see Mark showing Jesus Demonstrating power over nature, demonstrating power over Satan, demonstrating power over sickness and disease to show that he was was God in the flesh. So, So Mark focuses on who Jesus is, his titles, and then the very first thing that he tells us about is the public coronation of Jesus. The public coronation of Jesus as king. Now, if we go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, it says anything was settled in court or established as true in court on the basis of the same eyewitness testimony of two or three people. So out of the mouths of two or three eyewitnesses, a thing is established as true. So in order for Jesus to be recognized publicly or anointed publicly as the king, there would need to be two or three witnesses that would affirm that. And that's exactly what we see in mark chapter one the first witness is god the father here's what it says immediately coming up out of the water after jesus was baptized jesus saw the heavens opening the holy spirit like a dove descending upon him and this voice came from heaven. This testimony came from heaven, from God the Father, saying, you are my beloved son. You are the son of God. In you, I am well pleased. God the Father is the first eyewitness testimony at Jesus' coronation, public coronation, that this is the king. This is the Messiah. This is the son of God. The second eyewitness is the Holy Spirit. And it says this. Immediately coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opening, and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descending and resting upon him. The the Holy Spirit was anointing or coronating Jesus with power to rule in his life as the king. Uh, Kings in the Old Testament uh, were anointed with oil. The prophet Samuel anointed Saul. He anointed King David. Solomon was anointed. Kings were anointed with oil for public recognition recognition that they were the king. It was a a setting in office. It was a, a recognition of who they were. And so the Father and the Spirit are publicly affirming Jesus is the Christ. He's the king, and he's anointed to rule. And the third witness is John the Baptist. Here's what it says about John. John was preaching, saying, After me, one, Jesus is coming, who is mightier than I. In fact, I, I'm not even fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals, meaning I, I'm not even worthy. In comparison to Jesus, I'm not, I'm not like the lowest servant in society who would take the, the sandals off of a guest and wash their feet. I'm not, I'm not even at that level compared to the greatness of Christ. If you go to John's gospel, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus walking along the shore uh, of the Jordan, he says, behold, there's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. John is the third public eyewitness and testimony that Jesus is God he's not just a teacher he's not just a rabbi he's not just a good person he's not just a guy that showed up and was compassionate for the poor he is God in the flesh if you want to enter into new life you not only have to see your sin differently you've got to see Jesus differently you've got to recognize who he is what scripture says about him, the fact that God the Father, God the Spirit, and what Jesus said was the greatest prophet ever, John the Baptist, they all witness to the fact that this is the king and you need to surrender your lives to him. And the third thing, third step to new life, not, not only seeing our sin differently and not only seeing Jesus differently, but I have to see myself differently. If I want to step into new life I have to see myself. You have to see yourself from a different perspective. Verse 8. John says, I baptized you with water uh, for repentance and forgiveness of sin. But Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. New life is not the result of human effort. New, new life is not the result of human strength or human wisdom or, or human accomplishment. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. You, you cannot step into new life without the Holy Spirit. You, you, you can't do enough to earn life change. It, it's a work of God's Spirit. So when they, were, when they were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, before they even started, it was, it was like the temple was being given new life. They were starting over. Here's what the prophet says in in Zechariah chapter um, 4, verse 6. So he said to me, God said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by human might, nor by human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. How does restoration come? How is this work going to come? Not, not by human ingenuity, not by human strength, not by human wisdom, not by human effort, but it's, it's going to be the work of my spirit, and so it is in our lives. If we, if we want to experience new life, a new beginning in our lives in Christ, it only comes by the work of the spirit, not by your effort to try to change something about you. John six sixty three. Jesus said this, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. You want new life? You've got to receive the Holy Spirit and walk under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Human strength can do nothing, Jesus said. The words that I have spoken to you are from that life-giving spirit. And then finally, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by what? The Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives life, Jesus said. Not human effort, human strength, human wisdom. So we have to see ourselves in a different light in order to live a brand new life. Some of you have, have struggled with addiction. Some of you have gone through Alcoholics Anonymous. And the step one of a 12-step recovery program for AA is admitting powerlessness admitting I can't do this on my own. One testimony said this, we, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. In other words, I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself. I can't change myself. I can't make myself. I don't have the power. I need a power outside of myself to overcome this. I graduated from college. I played four years of basketball at Azusa Pacific, and I, I really decided I was done with basketball. Wasn't interested in playing anymore. I, I had a good career. It was fun, and now that was over. I was, I was in full-time ministry and moving on. Well, some guys at church that were on a church league, our church league basketball team strong-armed me into coming and playing for the team. I didn't, I didn't want to do it. I, I had no interest in doing it, and I got sucked into it. And, and, and church league basketball is a disaster. It, it just is. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot of guys that probably never played college basketball, and they think this is their chance to be NBA champions. And, and when they find out that somebody played college basketball, they're, they're going to show them. They're going to show them up and whatever. And I got caught up in all the smack talk and all the junk that went on. And I got incredibly fuss, frustrated. And they were, they, were, they were hitting me and hammering me pretty hard and not getting a lot of calls. We've got a referee over here who knows what I'm talking about. And, and, and I went off. I went off on the official. I, I, I had anger issues. I, I couldn't control my emotion. And, and the ref not only kicked me out of the game, he kicked me out of the gym. He stood at center court with the ball and he waited for me to leave the building. I was a pastor at the time. There goes Pastor Jeff after he blows the ref out and can't control himself. And so uh, there there was a volunteer, older guy in the church. He was the coach of the team and he he took me out to lunch and I said, I'm done, dude. I didn't, you guys talked me into this. I didn't even want to do this. I'm done. He goes, no, you're not, you're not done. He said, this is a root in your life that needs to be pulled out. And God's just using basketball to expose the root of anger, inability to control your emotion, and you're gonna stay. And you're going to see Christ work in this area of your life. And I agreed. And so every day, I think we had four or five games left. Every day I, I said, God, I'm powerless. I can't, I can't do this. I don't have control over my emotion. I don't have control over my anger. You've got to do something in my life. And when I went back to playing in the games, something was different. I'd be lying to you if I said, I, I've never had a problem with anger again. Cause I have. But, but there was a sense of strength. There, there was a sense of, of inner restraint. There was a sense of control that the Holy Spirit gave me. As I said, God, I can't do this. If you want to work, if I'm going to experience new life and freedom from this, it's, it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit, not Jeff trying to be a better person. Why does Mark use the concept of baptism to describe the filling of the Holy Spirit? He says, you're gonna be baptized with the Spirit. I baptized with water, you're gonna be baptized with the Spirit. It's like baptism in water, comparison, baptism of the Spirit, why? Because baptism is the place of surrender. Water baptism is the place where you stand up and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to sin and I'm, I'm going completely under the water. I'm going, comp- I'm surrendering to the power of God in my life. I'm surrendering to the leadership of Jesus. You say I'm, I'm going down. And when I come up, I'm going to come up a different person because of the work and power of the Holy Spirit in my life. John says, you're going to be baptized in the Spirit. You're going to be raised to new life in Christ. You're going to be given the ability to walk in power and overcome sin like you've never had, but you got to surrender, boy. You got to lay it down. You got to you have to admit powerlessness. See, surrender leads to power in life. Surrender leads to a brand new life. We have to see ourselves through the lens of helplessness, not self sufficiency, humility, not pride, weakness, not strength. How badly do you want a new life today? You can try and try and try all you want. New life comes through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. New life comes through surrender. Surrender brings power. Some of you today need to identify and see sin in a different way. You're not experiencing new life because you're not repenting. You're not turning and changing your life. You're not confessing your sin to the Lord you're just saying I'm sorry I did it again I'm sorry no surrender I confess I turn God what do I need to do to, to change this in my life you got to see Jesus as the king you got to see Jesus as the anointed one you've got to see Jesus as the one that has power to deliver you and go to him and you got to see yourself differently helpless weak hopeless apart from the work and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. To step into a, a new life with Christ. If you don't know him just means you've got You've got to surrender. You've got to confess. Jesus is the Lord. You've got to confess. You're a sinner. Call it what it is. Surrender to him and invite him to be the leader of your life. And if you're a Christian and you want to walk in, in victory and walk in new life, he said he would baptize you in the Holy Spirit, but you've got to surrender to the waters. You've got to go under the waters of the Spirit in your life and admit that you can't do it on your own. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're here this morning, everyone just just bow your heads quickly. If you're here this morning and you want to take a step to have a relationship with God through Christ, to have your sins forgiven for the first time, to have a new life, you, you can pray this with me. Just say in your heart, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I call it what it is. It, it has separated me from you. But I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the King. I believe you're the Messiah. Would, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you cleanse me on the inside? And would you fill me with power to live differently? I, I want to I walk in the yoke of the rabbi. I want to follow in the steps of Jesus, but I can't do it without your Spirit. And Lord, for those of us here this morning that know you, Lord, we too want to walk in the, in the footsteps of the master, the footsteps of the rabbi. Lord, help us this week to surrender, to find surrender to be the place of power and life. Pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. And-